It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Daily Assist brought to you by friends at Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Joining us from Sports Illustrated, he is Chris Mannix with us on the big show. Hi, Chris. How are you? What's going on, guys? Hey, we're just uh, following uh, all the NBA news as it slowly uh, comes out. In fact, I'll, I'll ask you about this or start this off here. We, I get it all the time where people say, oh, what are you talking about with no sports games going on? It's like, oh, man, you have no idea. The news is fast and furious. Yeah, I mean, and I think we talked about this somewhat last week, but, you know, you're, you're definitely going to see guys, um, you know, withdrawing from Orlando. And, you know, one of the things I think I said to you last week was that the the concern really isn't on and shouldn't be necessarily about the Donovan Mitchells and the Jason Tatums, but on these, you know, would-be unrestricted free agents who you know, the difference between injury and not is big contract or nothing. And a guy like Davis Bertans is a perfect example of it. He's on a team that's in all likelihood going nowhere, and he has too much at stake, an eight-figure-per-year contract that is going to be coming his way if he doesn't get injured. So, you know, players like that in, in the days to come, um, are, you know, tomorrow's the day they're supposed to tell the NBA. Some players will take it beyond that, I'm sure. Uh, but in the days to come, I think you're going to see players, more players uh, withdraw. Do you, what do you, uh, this is the way you could know this, but do you have any idea what the percentage is of guys who are eager to get back at it and those who do have concerns? Well, I mean, the, it's, it's hard to know who's eager and who's not. I, I think that the vast majority of the NBA is ready to play. The vast majority of the NBA is also very concerned about playing. You know, there's uh, players are not speaking with one voice on this. I mean, you saw Trevor Reza pull out for a reason that nobody, you know, could have anticipated with you know, the situation with his family. But you know, players have a number of different concerns, whether it's personal health concerns, health concerns of family members, risk of injury, social justice. I mean, they're you know they they really run the gamut with with these types of issues that. That players have, I think. Excuse me. By and large, you're going to have 90, 95 percent of of eligible players down there playing. But you know, there will be a decent number that decide you know not to go and to uh, back out, and, and they'll be within their rights to do it. What are your thoughts on Chris Paul's leadership through all of this? Oh, I, I think it's been great. I mean, you know, Chris Paul and Michelle Roberts have have really done everything possible to make sure that the union is in lockstep with the NBA on all these issues. I think the greatest example of that is that we really haven't heard much infighting between the union and the league. I mean, there's been the occasional, you know, eyebrow raise, whether it's the December 1st uh, start to the 2020-2021 season or some issues with testing. But by and large, uh, they've been on the same page. And look, Michelle Roberts is certainly leading the negotiations, but Chris Paul is speaking for the players, and and I think it's been uh, a relatively seamless uh, transition. I mean, you, you contrast that with the just absolute pie fight that's going on in baseball right now. That you, you just have to really respect the job that that union leadership has done in getting us to this point. 
Is there anything, Chris, that we're forgetting about or not paying close enough attention to uh, from this plan that you've uh, now had a, a good amount of time to study? No, I mean, it, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, the, the the issue continues to be where they're going. And, and I've talked to dozens of NBA uh, personnel and types that have real concern about Florida right now. And a lot of them, the concern is that, like, you should have seen this coming. Like, Florida was the state that basically, you know, collectively shrugged at, you know, protecting yourself against coronavirus. They opened up earlier than everybody else. They allowed the beaches to be flooded longer than everybody else. I mean, we can, you know, snub our nose at scientists all they want, but scientists are the ones that said that you act like this and you're going to see a spike, and here we are in middle of June, and a spike is here. Now, that's of greater concern, of course, because, you know, the NBA is going to have untested people rolling through there, and, and that, that's got to be pretty scary. I mean, I've, I've been covering boxing for the last few weeks about what's going on with Top Rank and what's going on in Las Vegas, and they just had another false positive test, the second of the three positive tests they've had that have been a false positive. So this testing, uh, as scientific as it is, is not entirely accurate. Uh, so there's, there's some definite concerns with, with going down there into that state, which you know, is only getting hotter as, as a COVID hotspot. So review with us, if you will, Chris. Uh, Chris Mannix with us, because I saw you tweeting about uh, boxing earlier today in that situation that you just brought up. What's the protocol with the NBA? They're going to do follow-up tests immediately to, to snuff out false positives, or what's their, uh, what's their plan? Yeah, the NBA is going to take it a step further. And look, boxing, as one of the first sports back, is going to evolve as well. Um, you know, they, they can't have fights being canceled on false positives, especially when these false positives, and this one in particular, comes from the manager of a fighter out in Las Vegas who tested positive the day of his fighter's fight. And per Nevada rules, he had to, the fight had to be scrapped. The fighter had to get out of the bubble. Uh, the manager, everybody that was in that team had to get out of the bubble. He was tested again the day he found out about the positive, and that test came back today as as a negative. So, um, you know, that, that, that certainly screwed up everything out in, in Nevada. But for the NBA, if player X tests positive, they'll be quarantined, but they'll be immediately given another test. And if that test tests positive, uh, that player will be allowed to stay. So they're adding, like, another layer of protection so they don't have these positives. The bigger issue, I think, that exists is that you, you just – you don't have – uh, best testing happening at all times. Like in Nevada, much of the, as far as I know, much of the tests that are being done are not those deep nasal swabs. They're either in the throat or they're on, or they're sort of a lower nasal swab. Those simply aren't as accurate as, as the deep nasal swabs. Now, nobody wants those deep nasal swabs, believe me. I mean, just watching them, I, I think, you know, makes me, you know, kind of want to throw up. But I, I mean, if you're going to try to be as safe as possible, and this is the only way to do it, that's the way it is at this point. So, I think that's going to be interesting, how the NBA addresses testing. Will they require everybody to do those deep nasal swaps, or will they just be used in the case of a positive test? Chris, do you think there's a team that has has utilized its situation to better prepare for the restart? I mean, didn't I see something online somewhere that claimed that the Lakers – we're uh, coordinating some kind of uh, team meetings or, or practices. And if it's online, Chris, it must be true, right? Uh, is, there, is there a team that's better positioned, or is that just as everybody's starting equal? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know that everybody's starting equal because, you know, these teams are going to look decidedly different. I mean, we know in Utah, no Bogdanovic. 
Uh, Trevor Reese is out in Portland, but here comes Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic, who were done for the season. Uh, you know, back in March. You know, we've talked about Ben Simmons coming back for Philadelphia and the, up, the upgrade that gives them. Uh, you know, a, a lot of teams that I've talked to are their players are having these types of Zoom workouts and and different practices that are coordinated online. Uh, that that's not so unusual. I think the the big indicator is going to be this week and next when we see these guys come in and you know you talk to coaches and other players about exactly what kind of condition that they're in and, you know, which guys have been staying in shape and which guys weren't. I mean, that's really the only barometer that we can use to start making some projections about which teams uh, should be favored. Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated uh, with us here on 97.5 and 1280 Zone. And, uh, Chris, I know you were tweeting about this right before you came on with us. Talk to us about the New York Knicks coaching search. You talked about their wide net. Is there a, a, a direction you expect them to go? Well, I mean, at the very least, they're acting like a functional franchise, which I haven't seen in like two decades. Like, you know, before it was, hey, here's, we, we love Isaiah Thomas. Let's give him a job he isn't qualified for. Hey, Phil Jackson's the greatest coach of all time. Let's get him the other job he's not qualified for. So, like, in the past, they've just tried to win the press conference and not win games. And at the very least, you saw them interviewing Jason Kidd. Uh, they've interviewed some lesser-known names like Jamal Mosley down in Dallas. Pat Delaney in Orlando. These are really quality basketball minds uh, that, you know, maybe it's not their time just yet, but it's good for the Knicks to be interviewing them and, and kind of getting to know them a little bit. Most people in the NBA still see this as Tom Thibodeau's job to lose. Uh, Thibodeau was effectively represented by Leon Rose, the new president of the Knicks. Uh, so that relationship looms large. And, you know, Tibbs is anxious to get back in. He's not looking to have total control of basketball ops anymore. Um, and his, his, his coaching credentials are, are unquestioned. I mean, he's had great success just as a coach, it's, as a GM, where he's been really bad. So uh, I, I think that's, that remains the front runner there. But it's good that the Knicks are you know, not leaving any stone unturned as they go through this process. Chris, I'll ask you a question that uh, Jake and I talked about earlier. Outside of the Lakers and the Clippers and the Bucks, is there a team that you think actually, uh, given a, the right set of circumstances, could pierce through those three and, and uh, reign supreme? Yeah, all in on Philadelphia, baby. Eastern Conference champions. Let's, let's crown them right now. I mean, the, the, I just looked. The Sixers are the one team – that is equipped to win these ugly pie fights that are going to take place in the NBA. I mean, three-point shooting percentages are going to be horrible. Like, they are just going to be, you know, low 30s, high 20s. You just simply can't get in the kind of mid-season form you need to be in to, to make threes. And the Sixers don't make threes. So you got Ben Simmons back. Uh, you know, Embiid, I'll take him at his word for now, said he's been working out six days a week. So uh, let's, let's say he's in pretty good shape. So there's your low post presence. Uh, I think they're just well equipped to win ugly games. And as bad as Al Horford's been all season long, I you know I know from watching him in Boston, he's been a great postseason player. Uh, I think they've got an opportunity here to to right some wrongs and right the ships. I mean, the, the end of the end of March or middle of March, this is a lost season. Everybody could have been fired. Brett Brown, Elton Brand, Simmons, Embiid. One of them could have been traded. This is their opportunity to to, to kind of rekindle things and and salvage what seemed unsalvageable three months ago. Chris Mannix with us here uh, on the big show on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Gordon and I also had a, a conversation today about the Raptors. And uh, moving on from Kawhi Leonard, I, I admit I was wrong. I didn't give them uh, much of a chance there in the East. But Pascal Siakam has taken even another step. Is he good enough to carry the load for that franchise? 
Well, it'll be interesting to watch, right? Like, I mean, he was on fire to start the season. He struggled a little bit in December, January. He picked it back up before the pandemic hit. Um, he's a real wild card. I mean, he has been great as a secondary player, as a number two star, a Pippen-like player. Uh, he was awesome. Um, can he do it as the alpha when defenses are geared toward him in the playoffs? Uh, it, it might not be so much about Siakam as it is about the guys around him. I mean, can Kyle Lowry make more shots? Can Fred Van Vliet make more shots? Um, yeah, I saw a picture of Marcus Gasol. He's lost like 30 pounds, it looks like. I mean, the guy is in, looks like he's in great shape going into the postseason. Like, is he an effective player for them? So, I mean, there's a uh, – you know, it is about Siakam and it isn't. Like, he's going to have to show that he can take over games of the fourth quarter. But building up to that point, he's going to have guys around him that can make shots. Chris, who do you think has done the best coaching job this year? Obviously, there's more work to do, and it's really a weird circumstance. But uh, is is Nick Nurse the guy? Who who would you favor? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Nick Nurse is a runaway winner here. I mean, I, I've I've pretty much decided that these last eight regular season games don't count for for voting purposes. I mean, I'm, I haven't made out my ballots yet, but uh, I'm not going to take into account what's happening. This is just we've talked about this before, but this to me feels like an entirely new thing. So I'm just going to base it on the but 60-ish, 70-ish games that have already been been played up until this point. I mean, there's been some good coaching jobs. Frank Vogel's been excellent uh, with the job he's done in L.A. with the Lakers. But, I mean, Nick Nurse lost the top three player, the finals MVP, and they barely missed a beat. They're number two seed in the in the East and and, and looking good going into the playoffs. So i I, I got to give Nick a lot of credit for, for keeping that team together and, and sort of developing these young players into the guys they are today. I know this is a bit review because we've asked you about this before, but it's fun to talk about this sort of thing. We just saw the beginning of Houston and the the Rockets' grand experiment going all in on the small ball thing. How much of a threat uh, are they, and do you think this experiment is going to pay off? You know, it, it didn't look great as far as you know paying off with a championship or even a trip to the finals before the pandemic. I mean, I just... It just always, even though they had their moments, the Westbrook-Harden pairing just seemed awkward, you know, especially when you consider how ball-dominant Harden is and how Russ really isn't a three-point shooter. I mean, you know, they're certainly capable of just going off one after the other in a, you know, your turn, my turn type of situation. But I don't know. I mean, Houston's another one of those teams. I mean, I don't know where they rank, like top five at least in three-pointers attempted. Like, they're, I think they're going to have some problems there. Like, I just don't think guys are going to be sharp with a three-point shot uh, for the rest of this year. So, uh, that that would be a concern for me if they just you know wind up shooting in the low 30s from three and they're attempting more than anybody else. So I, I you know I don't think it ends after this year. Uh, I think they'll certainly give it another year, uh, especially if there's a coaching change uh, there with Mike D'Antoni going. But uh, I don't have a lot of optimism for them making a run this year. Chris, uh, the the old uh, cliche defense wins championships is that just not true anymore? Especially in the NBA, with uh, you just mentioned teams that might struggle offensively uh, uh, might be in a in a world of hurt. Do you think that's true anymore, or is it all about uh, just putting up those shots and and making them, and then and then holding on at the other end? No, I think defense still wins championships because. You know, all the great teams, and most of them that have won in the 21st century, they've had great defenses. I mean, you look at what Golden State has been, they've had a pretty elite defense along the way as well. The LeBron teams in Cleveland, I mean, Milwaukee's been a good defensive team. They're, they're, they're more known for their offense, and those outbrand defense is certainly relative now to what it was 
in the 80s and 90s when you know those scores were in double digits. But uh, you know, each one of these teams has defensive stoppers and and is able to put together good team defense. I think it's it's imperative. You like I mean, the Rockets were often held up as an example as a team that could, if they won, they'd probably do it without an elite defense. But even the Rockets, you know, their best year. That year they went to the conference finals. They were inside the top ten in defensive efficiency, and Mike D'Antoni's often said that we have to be a top ten defense to to be a championship contender. So it certainly isn't. Uh, it, it, I think offense certainly leads the way in some of this, but I don't. I don't think you can be a championship team unless you have at a minimum a top ten defense and probably a top five one. I was. I thought I was done, but let me throw this in there because I'm curious. You being a boxing expert, is the same thing true in fighting? In the fight game, or Mayweather was supposedly a great defensive artist, right? But what, what yeah. do you make of it in that setting? Yeah, I mean, Mayweather was a wizard. Pernell Whitaker was a wizard. The difference in boxing is that you can be, as Deontay Wilder has often said, you know, you can be great against me for 11 minutes and 59 seconds or whatever, or the entire fight, all I need is one second. Like, boxing used to have the eraser. And if you if you can go out there like Deontay Wilder, or I was watching old George Foreman tapes just today, where you can get beat up and pummeled for 11 rounds, but in that 12th, if you connect, it lights out. That's, that's just a difference maker uh, right there in boxing. It's just the one aspect that basketball can't really match. Just being great in one minute can change the course of an entire fight. Chris, thank you very much, as always. Look forward to catching up with you next week. You got it, guys. Chris Maddox from Sports Illustrated joins us each and every Monday right here on The Big Show on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I'm, I'm with him on that defensive stuff, Gordon. I thought that was a good question from you, but I do. I you know Maybe now the requirement is you've got to have a top 10 uh, offense too, but you still have to have a good defense. We should go back and look at the numbers, but you know Golden State, we remember them as being this rip-roaring offense, and they were, but they played great defense too. Clay Thompson, underrated defender. Draymond Green, of course. Kevin Durant, I think, is an underrated defender. I mean, they were a real Really great defensive team too. Well, this is an equation that the Jazz are trying to balance. Right. right. I mean, they go out and they get Boyan, and and uh, he's not a great defensive player, but he's uh, twenty points a game, better than that. And now, now he's gone, and so some people think the Jazz are a better defensive team uh, without him soaking up those minutes. But uh, offensively maybe not quite as good but if they can close that gap and be better defensively did we ever figure out what they were when the after 64 games as far as their ratings defensively and offensively weren't they in the top 10 in both hold on give me a sec i'll give you yeah they've been the best offensive rating in the nba since december 26th yeah and but certainly in the top offensive rating uh eighth Okay. One twelve point six defensive rating, eleventh one hundred nine point four. All right. Well, but at one that, point, weren't those both in the twenties? Yes. Yeah. At well, the beginning of the year, the the those statistics were more dire. Yes. Everybody talks about the Jazz's need for for more firepower offensively, but that defense has got to get better too. And. Uh, yeah, I, that'll be interesting to keep an eye on once this whole thing resumes. And I wonder, we we all talk. We just heard Chris talk about the three point shooting percentage is going to suffer. I wonder if the defense will suffer at all. The coordination involved in that, the the even the motivation or the you know the to play good defense, man. You gotta you gotta be hungry. And I wonder if uh, 
a long time laying off like this uh, will affect that right. at any level. Stay tuned. It is the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.